The victims lay motionless on the floor. The fatal stab wounds had cruelly taken their lives. The mother was found with over 12 knife wounds on her body. The youngest son was sound asleep on his bed when a knife slashed through his neck. Welcome back to our channel. Today, we will explore the Richardson family murder case, which is one of the most terrifying mass murders in the history of Canada. Police discovered that the parents and their two daughters had been murdered in their family home, creating a shocking and gruesome scene for both the community and the media. However, what made this case even more terrifying was the cruelty and mental instability of the perpetrator Jeremy Stein, who killed the Richardson family along with his 12-year-old girlfriend, Jasmine, who was also a member of the family. The couple used the nicknames Soulless and Runaway Devil and nurtured their murder plan through online messages and phone calls. The Richardson family murder case is one of the most terrifying and heartbreaking crimes in the history of Canada, and it serves as a warning about the harmful effects of mental instability and unhealthy relationships. Why could they be so heartless? What motivated them to commit such a heinous act? Take a deep breath and join us as we step through the doorway of darkness to shed light on this case. We are going to concentrate on the quaint little city of Medicine Hat, which is situated around 200 miles or 300 kilometers southeast of Calgary. Medicine Hat, which is located in Alberta, is sometimes referred to be Canada's sinuous city, and it is also a very prosperous and spotless region. As soon as I began my investigation into this city, the first item that popped up on the map was the location of the nearest M. Hortons. Medicine Hat is a thriving town that caters to newly formed families, encourages an active and outdoorsy way of life, and features an abundance of stunning natural scenery and exciting activities. And the Richardson family was one of those families that was lucky enough to be able to take advantage of everything that this community had to offer. Family members Deborah and Mark Richardson, their son Tyler, who is 8 years old, and their daughter Jasmine, who is 12 years old, make up this family. Deborah and Mark first crossed paths in the year 1990 at the local gym club in Ontario, where they both resided at the time. Their family was considered a model example of an average family. Both of them participated in the weekly sessions offered by the fitness center, one of which assisted those who struggled with substance misuse. Unfortunately, Mark had a history of abusing illicit substances, but by the time the two of them met, they had both successfully kicked their addictions and were going on with their adult lives. And after relocating to Medicine Hat and purchasing their first house together there four years later, they became parents to their first child, Jasmine, who was then followed by her younger brother, Tyler. Within the confines of their little Medicine Hat's house, the family of four led a quiet and contented life. Both Jasmine and Taylor did really well in school, and they enjoyed good health and a loving and supportive family life. In fact, Jasmine was already recognized as a student of distinction when she was only 11 years old. Many people believe that she had inherited her mother's charming and contagious grin. She was young, attractive, and had an infectious smile. Now. Sadly, 
our tail begins to deteriorate in a gradual and steady manner at this point, just like the lives of many adolescents. When Jasmine reached her teenage years, she began the second decade of her life as a happy, church-going honor student. Her personality began to shift as a result of this transition, which occurred as she entered her teenage years. After she discovered the vast world the internet had to offer, things started to shift almost immediately. She maintained her cheery and sociable demeanor in real life for a while, but when she went online, she adopted an entirely different persona than the one she presented to her loved ones and her close friends. During that time period, Jasmine maintained personal profiles on many social networking websites, one of which was MySpace. And although in the past her MySpace account came off as sweet and feminine, it has gradually evolved into a profile that is edgier and more gothic in nature. There is certainly nothing incorrect with it, but it is essential background information for today's video. She also established a profile on VampireFreaks.com, a social networking website that is no longer active but was formerly somewhat unknown and popular. Vampire Freaks was founded with the primary intention of uniting individuals who identify with the goth, pink, and emo subcultures with one another. And it was just this location that Jasmine had developed a private fascination for. She used online monikers such as Xkiller Kitty X, Runaway Devil, and Xmaya Max. For those who recall the early days of the internet, the use of X names as user identities was pretty much a product of its day. Her profiles were stuffed with photographs of her sporting heavy eyeliner, adopting alternative garb, and posing with phony firearms. In addition, the hobbies she mentioned on her social media profiles were extremely consistent with each other. Things like piercings, tattoos, toy guns, and loud music were included on Jasmine's crest, which, of course, was extremely common for an emo kid on the cusp of adulthood in the middle of the 2000s. Jasmine listed her crest. Despite the fact that the nightmare before Christmas was all the rage, Hot Topic did not have anything cold pops in stock. While Jasmine did spend a significant amount of time chatting with other alternative teenagers online, she also made a point to attend a wide variety of alternative concerts that were being performed in the surrounding region. Because these concerts were typically geared toward young people, Jasmine, who was 12 at the time, would frequently go with a group consisting of some of her friends. Unfortunately, this is the point at which the narrative takes yet another detour in the wrong direction. At one of these pink rock gigs, Jasmine ran across a 23-year-old man who went by the name of Jeremy Stinky. Jasmine and Jeremy Stinky spoke briefly before Jasmine moved on. And Jeremy was, without a shadow of a doubt, a scofflaw. He was tormented to the point where he decided to withdraw from high school. But after that, he became completely unmotivated to look for a job and instead chose to live with his mother in a trailer park. As a result of his mother's struggles with alcoholism and her inability to sustain consistent romantic relationships, Jeremy's family home was frequently visited by many men during his childhood. Unfortunately, 
Many of these men did not like Jeremy either, and as a result, Jeremy was frequently the victim of physical violence at the hands of his mother's lovers. Jeremy was jobless in 2006, when he was 23 years old, and he spent the majority of his time chatting with ladies online. The majority of the women he talked to were significantly younger than he was. Every one of Jeremy's pals would agree with his self-description of being a bit of a freak, and Jeremy would define himself as such. Which makes perfect sense, considering that Jeremy has shared with his pals a number of peculiar anecdotes about himself. He lied to them and claimed that he liked the flavor of blood and even often drank it. Jeremy was also frequently observed wearing a vial of blood around his neck as if he were preparing for the possibility that he may have a craving. Even worse, Jeremy said that he was a werewolf who had lived for 300 years. And despite the fact that this seems exciting, Medicine Hat has experienced a multitude of full moons without a single fatality. There are some people who are crying crap on this one. Although Jasmine misled Jeremy about her age when they first met at a local Pinkrock performance, where she claimed to be 15 years old. She was actually only 12 years old at the time. Jeremy didn't appear to be bothered by the fact that he is still a juvenile at the age of 15, either way. In reality, he favored younger women because they were easier to influence and control than older women. The two spoke with one another using a variety of social media platforms, including Vampire Freaks and Nexopia a social networking site based in Canada. On Nexopia, Jasmine's age was incorrectly stated as being far higher than it actually was. It became obvious that Jeremy's way of life and hobbies were having an effect on Jasmine, who was just 12 years old at the time, as their conversations became more frequent and more in-depth over the course of the subsequent months. And throughout the course of these texts, Things took a creepily romantic turn between the two of them, and it looked like Runaway Devil and Soul Eater were now dating, at least according to all appearances and indications. I'll save you most of the specifics, but a portion of one of his messages said, God, I can't get over not seeing or talking to you. I'll spare you the rest of the facts. I have a strong desire to be in your arms and to hear your gentle, understated voice. Please come to me wherever you are. I don't care. There is nothing else in the world that could possibly compete with the way that you make me feel. I want to tell you that I love you, that I miss you, and that I wish we could simply get away together. He even threw in some hugs and kisses at the end of it, along with a ruffle and a emoticon, and finished it off by saying, Talk to you later, Cuddle Bonnie. This is a style that was popular in the 2000s. In addition to sending her these strange and indecent texts, he was also responsible for Jasmine developing a more sinister demeanor under his tutelage. And not long after that, she started living a more gothic lifestyle. It got to the point where Jeremy gave his young lover a vial of his very own blood, much like the one that he wore around his neck, as a token of his love for her. And it wasn't long before Jasmine's parents became horrifyingly aware of their daughter's new adult partner, and this connection didn't take long to spill over into real life. They were naturally scared for their daughter, and as soon as they found out about Jeremy, 
they promptly put their daughter under house arrest and removed her access to her computer. On the other hand, once she showed appropriate behavior for a period, this was given back to her. Do you believe that she paid no attention to Jeremy after that? Of course not. They got back in touch, but this time they were more circumspect about keeping their connection a secret. Jeremy, on the other hand, was fully aware of the limitations placed on their relationship, and he was incensed that Jasmine's parents were interfering with their relationship. The following poem, which he wrote to vent his rage, may be found under my lover's rents are totally unfair. He did it in his own unique and edgy manner. They have no idea what is going on, so they just believe that she is becoming increasingly mad. She has not stopped expressing gratitude for my presence. I want to slice both of their throats. They are going to have to pay the price for their arrogance. At long last, there will be complete silence. Their blood will be the price we pay. Both Jasmine and Jeremy agreed with the sentiment that it was impossible for the couple to be together as long as Jasmine's parents were still in the picture. They would make jokes about evading them in some way and staying together for an infinite amount of time. And this was something that Jasmine conveyed in one of her emails. I miss you more than I miss killing people, she writes in the message she sent. Can we get together to murder some individuals? Wrong. They are the worst. Now, I propose the following. It all starts with me killing them and ends with you and me sharing a home together. Teenagers today frequently make jokes about how much they despise their parents, and it's not unusual for them to secretly wish that their parents would just vanish. But these comments were landing on the ears of a predator who was obsessed with maintaining his hold on Jasmine's emotions. There is no way of knowing whether or not Jasmine actually intended the words that she was typing. However, at least in Jeremy's perspective, the concept of murdering for the sake of his so-called lover was a morbidly romantic one. The Richardson family continued on with their normal routines as best they could. Mark and Deborah were overjoyed to observe that it appeared as though their daughter was making progress for the better. And at this point in time, the couple's son Tyler was also enrolled in school and leading the typical, carefree life of a delighted eight-year-old child. But they had no idea that their deaths were being painstakingly plotted behind the scenes, and that one of their murderers would be a member of their own family. All they saw was a computer screen. You know, it was a cool spring day on April 23, 2006 and the residents of Southview were enjoying a quiet fun day in their quiet suburban community. On account of the fact that it being a Sunday, the children of the numerous families that were going about their normal activities were outside having fun. This includes a small youngster named Tyler, who went out to play with his pal, another young guy named. But when they knocked on the door of number 304, they were met with complete stillness in response. The young man was perplexed by this information. Not only could you find the Rich Shirtsons at their house on Sundays, but you could also find their automobile parked on the front drive. Consequently, in a very predictable and inquisitive fashion, the little child exited the porch in order to peek through the window to his left, which looked into the basement of the house. 
and when he peered into the room, which was only poorly lighted, he was able to make out the outline of a person who was laying on the floor. And most troubling of all, the dead corpse was still. The little kid, realizing that something was off, hurried back home to report what he had witnessed to his mother. In reaction, the child's mother dialed 911 and requested that the police perform a welfare check on the family. When the authorities arrived to the apartment, it was immediately apparent to them that a terrible event had taken place there. The door was unlocked, and there was an eerie silence throughout the home. The personnel of the police department started their search in the basement, and it was there that they discovered the remains of Deborah and Mark Richard. They were both lifeless and immobile on the ground, surrounded by their own blood pooling around them. Deborah's chest had been stabbed a total of 12 times, which was a terrible tragedy. And as for Mark, his chest and back had sustained a total of 24 cuts and punctures between them. The horrifying details that the police would uncover would continue on from there. As tragically, when entering Tyler's bedroom, they saw his deceased corpse lying on his bed with blood covering his bedsheets as well as the surrounding plush animals that he frequently carried to bed with him. The little boy had been stabbed five times, and his neck had been cut. When the police were investigating the murder scene, they took notice of the family portraits that were spread throughout the house, which portrayed a family of four. The child had been stabbed five times, and his throat had been cut. The obvious follow-up question that this needed to be asked was, where exactly had their daughter Jasmine gone? It was instantly suspected that these killings were the result of a house invasion, and it was extremely possible that Jasmine had been kidnapped by the same individual or individuals who had killed her family. This preliminary work in the search for the missing 12-year-old girl started with her friends in her school. The authorities were given access to Jasmine's school records, which included her locker, but what they discovered inside suggested an entirely different scenario. An Ember Alert was issued for the missing teenager, and the police began preliminary work in their search for the missing 12-year-old girl. The police discovered a drawing of a stick figure cartoon depicting a family out for a stroll. One member of the family then retreats to Jeremy's vehicle where they collect gasoline and pour it upon the other three members of the family. The artwork was located by the authorities among her school supplies and books. After that, they set fire to the three victims, prolonging their suffering and bringing forth their inner anguish. Because of the finding of this artwork, the authorities decided to investigate the disappearance of Jasmine as a possible criminal act. Since the drawing included Jeremy's name, they were quite eager to learn who he was. Fortunately, it didn't take long for other leads to come through either. After interrogating numerous of Jasmine's close acquaintances, the investigators were able to positively identify the suspect as Jeremy Allen Steinkey very quickly. They described how he was very affectionate with her and would do anything to maintain her attention. To make matters even more alarming, they were able to inform the authorities that Jasmine frequently discussed the idea of murdering her own parents. 
Investigating police were able to infer a very frightening motivation after following these suggestions and combining them with a trail of digital evidence that included texts, emails, and chat logs. The news of the parents who are accused of killing their child was all over the media. And the little town of Medicine Hat, Alberta, was in a commotion as a result of its astonishment and contempt. The exposure would prove to be the couple's undoing, as they were subsequently caught at a petrol station less than 100 miles away not long after this incident took place. They had spent the previous 24 hours hanging out with pals, all of whom were either completely unconscious of their malicious deeds or didn't take them seriously even if they were aware of them. I say this because Jeremy and Jasmine were literally laughing about how they had just slain her family and even revealed exact details about how they had done it. I say this because they were laughing about how they had just done it. They all believed that this was some twisted joke. But after reading the headlines in the newspaper, those friends quickly alerted the police. Eventually, Jeremy's truck was successfully found down in a field where the two had spent their final night together. After completely surrounding the truck, the cops took Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Steinke into custody on suspicion of killing three people with the truck. The two individuals appeared in concern by the news and were just upset by it. However, now that the two have been taken into prison, Authorities will be able to carefully question them and maybe discover more about what occurred on the evening of April 22. And it didn't take long for them to begin conversing with one another. It would appear that neither of their loves was sufficient for the other, as Jeremy said that Jasmine had pleaded with him to assist in getting rid of her parents in any way possible, and as he would reportedly do anything to retain her, he obliged. It would appear that neither of their loves was sufficient for the other. In the same vein as this, Jasmine was eager to point the finger of blame at Jeremy by claiming that he was the only one responsible for the crime. She stated that she was merely speculating about the possibility of killing her family, that she took it to be a joke, and that she had no intention of carrying out the plan in any way, shape, or form. However, Jeremy's assertions appeared to be more credible than Jasmine's own account of the events that transpired. And all of this was supported by a mountain of evidence that pointed to the fact that the two individuals had steadfastly adhered to their plan. And of course, the most important thing that everybody was curious about was the answer to the great question. What exactly was their devious plan? On the evening of April 22, Everything got underway. Under the cover of darkness, Jasmine was the one who clandestinely let Jeremy inside the residence. After that, she went to the upper floors of the house and kept a low profile while Jeremy descended to the lower levels. And it was here that he discovered her, all the while Deborah was folding clothes. Jeremy charged Jasmine's mother while holding a folding knife that was six inches long in his hand. He stabbed her many times in the chest during their confrontation. But this fight did not end in a draw, and while it was going on, Mark was startled awake by the sound of his wife crying for assistance. He rushed rapidly down the basement, and when he arrived there, he was confronted with the sight of his wife lying helpless on the ground, with a mysterious man wearing a balaclava standing on her. 
As Mark struggled with the intruder to take the knife from him, the two began to grapple with one other. Unfortunately, he was not successful in completing this mission. And in the end, Mark was the one who emerged victorious despite suffering many knife wounds to the chest and back. Unfortunately, as he began to lose consciousness, he was only able to mumble one thing to Jeremy, a question. Because your daughter wanted it to be that way, Jeremy provided a response that was both scary and upsetting. Mark did not survive for much longer after this. During the time when all of this was going on, Jasmine was on the second floor, in her room. Her own younger brother, who was deeply dozing in his bedroom at the time, was the intended victim of her murderous sack, which was scheduled to take place at this time. The stories that Jeremy and Jasmine tell about what happened here are very different from one another. Jeremy asserts that the only person responsible for Jasmine's brother's death was Jasmine herself, and that he had nothing to do with the crime. But Jasmine claimed that after struggling to murder him with her own hands, Jeremy pushed her to grab the knife and use it on her own younger brother. Jasmine said that this happened after she had already attempted to kill him with her own hands. At some point, Jasmine came clean and revealed that she had stabbed her brother. However, it was simply an isolated incident and did not occur on a regular basis, if you can even call it that. It was obvious, on the other hand, that Tyler had been stabbed a total of five times, and he also had a significant cut on his throat. After that, Jeremy departed the house, leaving Jasmine there all by herself along with the rest of her now deceased family members. And not much later than that, she flagged down a cab and traveled to Jeremy's trailer. The taxi driver testified in court about how the young girl he had picked up seemed completely unconcerned by the events that were taking place. She welcomed him in a cheery manner, as if nothing out of the usual had occurred, and certainly not like a little girl who had just suffered the death of her whole family. After being brought back together, the couple stayed in each other's company for the following 24 hours during which they exhibited an extreme lack of regret for their actions. They were caught on camera making out and kissing in a restaurant, where they afterwards went to brag about their behavior to their companions. Strangely enough, even after they were arrested, they continued to act in a heinous manner toward others. On the other hand, the individuals were authorized to write letters to one another. It's possible that the authorities were listening in on them to see if they can get any further information from what they're saying to one other. And of course, in the midst of these letters, Jeremy popped the question to Jasmine about getting married. Because Jasmine accepted his proposal, it is now abundantly evident that the two are just as insane as one other. Bear in mind that this occurred after Jasmine had asserted that Jeremy was the only one responsible for the murders in question. A year and a half later, in June 2007, the couple faced separate trials for the killings of the Richardson family, regardless of the revolting anecdotes that came out during the investigation. Because Jeremy was an adult at the time, he was subjected to the whole authority of the law. His defense maintained that he was a man with a weak will, immaturity, and low self-image, and that his history of abuse at the hands of his mother's partners was to blame for his acts. 
He was found guilty of first-degree murder and second-degree attempted murder. Additionally, Jeremy's defense contended that Jeremy was thirsty for attention and that he desired the pure love of a 12-year-old to fill the vacuum that was left in his upbringing. Even some of his closest friends testified that he would have done everything to maintain her affection for him. It goes without saying that having a weak will and a poor self-esteem is not an acceptable justification for murdering three innocent people or working as a groomer. And not without good reason. Because of the three murders he committed, Jeremy was sentenced to life in prison for each of them. As a result of Jasmine's age, he will be eligible for release after serving 25 years in prison. During her trial at the time, she was not allowed to reveal her identity in any of the court proceedings, and she was simply referred to as Junior. Jasmine was found guilty of murdering her mother, brother, and father following a lengthy trial that included the examination of digital clues that had been left before the murders as well as her conduct both before and after the incident. It was clear that she did not feel any regret for what she had done and the manner in which she delivered her evidence revealed a profound inability to empathize with others. To add insult to injury, she was even seen laughing while relating the tragic events that befell her own family. This is the point at which things start to become more complicated. But because of her age, the Canadian legislation stipulated that the highest sentence she could possible get was just 10 years in prison. Not only that, but during those 10 years, the offender will also receive mental treatment, live in a group home, and be subject to constant monitoring. None of these things will take place in a jail or prison. In point of fact, she was finally held up as a shining example of successful rehabilitation while she was still serving her sentence. She began to demonstrate a real regret for her acts and those responsible for her care were certain that she would never commit another offense again as a result of her participation in counseling and her separation from Jeremy. The Honorable Scott Broker expressed his optimism that Jasmine had matured and become a better person. He said that he believed your parents and sibling would be pleased with how you've turned out. It is very clear that you cannot change the past. You are the only one who can live each day with the understanding that you have control over what you do and how you act on that day. Jasmine went to school at Mount Royal University in Calgary under a different name in order to ease her transition back into society for the final five years of her sentence. She was granted her freedom in 2016, and ever since then, she has maintained her presence in the community. On the other hand, Jeremy is still serving his sentence behind bars, which is probably for the best given that the man was obviously a danger even before he turned to murder. In this particular case, the punishment has been the source of much debate. If you're old enough to do the crime, then you're old enough to serve the sentence for it, according to a saying that men recite while they're talking about this incident. And despite the fact that many people are of the opinion that Jasmine should have been sentenced to a far longer period of time behind bars, the reality is that she was simply a youngster who had been exploited by a disturbed guy. Because Jasmine didn't get into any more problems in the five years after she was released from prison, 
her criminal record was able to be erased. This means that there is no record of any of the offenses she committed in the past. She probably goes by a whole new name today since she is living her life without any constraints, which frees her up a lot. Mark and Deborah Richardson were wonderful parents who always put their daughter's needs before their own. When they found out what was going on with Jasmine, any parent would have been shocked. They wanted nothing more than to make sure that their kid was secure since they loved and cared for her. But tragically, both of them, along with Jasmine's younger brother Tyler, were killed as a result of an immoral and revolting love affair that took place between the two of them. Both Jeremy and Jasmine will never see another day, and Jasmine will have to deal with the consequences of her actions for the rest of her life, which I believe is a form of punishment in and of itself. The people of Medicine Hat have decided not to accept her return, and it goes without saying that the village is still shaken up as a result of what happened. To tell you the truth, I'm not really sure how I feel about Jasmine's sentence. When taking into account the length of time spent waiting for her acts, 10 years seems like a fairly short amount of time. But on the other hand, she was only 12 years old, and a 23-year-old had been grooming her for this role. The legal system in Canada is quite distinct from that of the rest of the globe, which includes countries like the United States, which maintains the belief that individuals should be punished. The reformation of criminals is crucial to Canada. While some argue that certain individuals are inherently evil, the fact remains that Jasmine, even at just 12 years old, committed the murders of her entire family. This raises the question of whether or not she can be trusted upon her release from prison. As there are valid arguments on both sides of this issue, I find myself in a state of internal conflict. What are your thoughts on this case? However, I must bring this discussion to a close now. Thank you all for your attention today. If you found this investigation interesting or learned something new, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe. Take care of one another and stay safe until our next meeting, where we will delve into another case. In the meantime, remember to watch out for each other. Thank you and farewell.